Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about the shoulds in our lives, the shoulds we constantly put on ourselves and others, the internal shoulds and the external shoulds. I've been thinking about where they come from and how detrimental they can be to us and our relationships, and how the heck we can send them packing from our lives once and for all. My guest today is Reagan Walsh. She's an executive coach and life coach. She's earned coaching certificates from NYU, and she has a BS in interpersonal communication. Welcome, Reagan and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share space with you. So I want to start with what was the curriculum like for the interpersonal communication degree? Because I didn't even know that existed. These are the kinds of things I'm like, oh, I've been out of the loop for so long. Um, because when I was at school, they, there certainly wasn't really one of those. Um, what was that like? So where I went to undergrad was Ohio University, and they have a really well-known communication school. So journalism is like their number one thing. And when I was there, um, this interpersonal communication uh, degree was a super hot thing because what you're talking about is how to be more effective in communicating with teams of people, um, growing a business um, in one-on-one -on -one relationships. So uh, the curriculum was all around how you can just communicate more effectively to achieve the goal you're trying trying to achieve in whatever you know arena that it that may be. So. Um, for me, it was quite exciting because I grew up as this this kid who was challenged by, you know, some of the math and sciences, but I understood people. That was always my strength. And so to stumble upon, you know, a major that would let me dial up and focus on my strengths was just this like incredible moment uh, in my early adulthood that that was actually a thing that I could, you know, put into practice for my career. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately, like that it seems so crazy that that is only recently really its own defined thing. Um, I'm in love with the books out of the Harvard Negotiation Project, um, getting to yes and getting coming together and getting past no. And when I reread them again and again, I realize, okay, these books are like, you know, 30, 40 years old. Um, and, and they still, you know, there's just so much magic in them. And yet, it seems like it's a burgeoning field, even though all day, all you know, with everyone and within ourselves, it's always an interpersonal communication and it needs to be effective. Right. Yeah. And even how we talk to ourselves, right? That's a big component is what, what are the stories we're telling ourselves and how can we get out of our own way to really thrive in whatever space that is. So we damage ourselves with um, perfection or pleasing or minimizing and quieting our voice, not putting ourselves out there and asking for what we want. Um, so the, the content out there today that's just really starting to explode um, is really powerful, and I think especially for women. And so what does your day look like as a life coach, and, and how does that differ when you are wearing the hat of the executive coach? So it's funny. Um, oftentimes people hire me as an executive coach to help them. You know, they are a C-suite executive that's trying to navigate, you know, how to effectively lead their team. And then inevitably, we end up talking about life stuff as well. Because if you're tapped out on like raising your family, trying to get to the soccer game, or, 
you know, to the play or the band rehearsal, whatever it is, and you're also running an organization, you sometimes just feel depleted and you can't really move forward in any area. So what happens is I end up addressing both no matter what reason people come to me. So um, the conversations might start more business focused and how can I be a better leader to my team or these are some of the conflicts I'm running into with my team. How can I communicate better? And then just because it happens, you communicate the same way to your family and to your friends. So those same issues that you might have in business play out in life as well. So then the focus sometimes shifts to more personal things. And then the person realizes like, wow, I've been holding myself back and these easy things uh, to fix um, can really clear up a lot of what makes me feel like I'm weighting myself down. It's interesting that we have this illusion that we can kind of segment ourselves. Oh, well, this is me in my personal life. This is me in my my business life, my professional life. And the reality is we're the same person and that the skills that we need to be effective in both areas are the same skills. Absolutely. And it is so funny, like, oh, I'm only a control freak at home. And it's like when people say that to me, I just laugh because I am like, if we do a 360 review on your team, I bet the themes of controlling and micromanaging are going to weave themselves, you know, throughout your work life as well. Yeah, we are the same person, no matter what arena we're showing up in. You had said, uh, my journey, my own journey has been fraught with self-inflicted stress, unsatisfying busyness, and plenty of needless striving. Uh, is that what led you to coaching? And sort of was it an aha moment? Or was it a, a slow ride down the river? Oh, that's such a good question. I, um, I've had a few aha moments. So like there was a clear aha moment in my life when I decided I would shed my shoulds. And then it wasn't until probably eight years later that I decided to become a coach. And that was because um, I just, I had worked with a coach myself and realized I really admired her approach to leadership and personal development And what I was doing in the role I was in currently was essentially coaching. My door was a revolving door and people would come in to my office and say, I feel stuck here personally or professionally. Help me, you know, figure out what to do next. And then I thought, why am I, you know, commuting, having this long commute and working all these crazy hours when I can open my own business and, you know, do this on my own terms. And so that's what I did. So what were those years like when you had decided you were going to shed your shoulds? And I think you shedded your shoulds um, while you were working in the corporate and, and nonprofit and creative agencies. What was that like? Did you feel like sort of a secret uh, agent or alien in, in those worlds? So I, I'm go- I'll, I'll share the story as best and as quickly as I can. But I remember it started, I can remember the evening so vividly. I was having a beer uh, in my neighborhood with my boss. We became good friends. And, you know, I felt like I was almost living this like a lie that I was pretending to be happy, but I wasn't truly happy. And he's somebody that also really gets people. And so he just kind of kept asking me questions and you know, what does your ideal day look like? And who are you surrounded with? And, you know, finally, I broke down. And I was like, you know what, I'm actually not happy. And um, it was more in the personal realm, I was uh, married to somebody, um, I had made a mistake, I was married to a, a man that was incredibly kind and a good man, he just wasn't right for me. 
And um, that was the first time I kind of admitted that. And I was raised in a very conservative Catholic family. And the thought of saying, you know, I don't want to be part of this marriage anymore, to me was so suffocating and um, like riddled. It just made me riddled with fear and anxiety um, that just like even speaking, like I'm in a relationship for life that doesn't feel good. And then realizing that I had power to say, you know what, and have that difficult conversation and tell this man I really made a mistake and I was young and I was operating from this place where I thought I should get married and on paper, this feels, you know, it looks like something I should do. Um, but in reality, my heart wasn't into it. And, you know, shoulds are, are things that we typically say to either out of fear or obligation, and they can be big things like walking down an aisle or small things, you know, attending a party or a happy hour that you don't want to go to. But for me, when I developed my relationship with being able to shed the shoulds, it was having the courage to say in that example, you know what, I made a mistake. And just because I made a mistake doesn't mean I should live the rest of my life living a lie, right? And I would fantasize about a different life, not about a different person, but just this, this sense of living my, my true self and, and living life on my own terms and in a different way. And I realized that living, you know, 80% in your head was a really uh, crummy way to go through life, right? So that was the first like major sh uh, should that I had shed and it was incredibly hard. Uh, but like, if when I look back now, like how, how lucky am I that I had the courage to shed that should and um, be in a relationship where I am 100% living in my life today. I'm no longer daydreaming. And um, all of these things that I used to fantasize about are my reality. So um, that was, I mean, it was a pretty big moment for me. And then I also had moments where I, you know, was in a job that didn't feel right for only 4.25 days, I knew if I stayed a full week that I would probably stay there for five years because I tended to be a loyal person. And I called that, you know, my former boss who had had a beer with that one evening. And I said, I think I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. And he said, well, you've worked far too hard to live your, you know, to become this person. Why would you stop now? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to quit a job during a recession and land on my feet because this is not what I should do. I should follow my passion and find out what it is I'm supposed to do. So um, the, the theme of shedding your shoulds has always reached really incredible rewards in my life, both personally and professionally. And I'm so glad that I had that kind of moment uh, when I was in my late 20s. So what was that first experience for you like when you started to pay attention to what the shoulds were in your life and then um, being exposed to the idea that you could shed them, that you didn't have to let them have um, continuing power over you and that you had the ability to make choices around which ones you, you would keep. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, I feel like, and I know you're from a big family and you're, I think, the middle child and I'm the youngest. So I was the youngest of six and I just kind of followed the path that others had led uh, before me, my siblings, and I always just thought I should do those things. And then when I was in my mid to late 20s, I started um, expanding my network and I had all of a sudden all these really interesting friends and exposure 
to different ways of living. And I like essentially became alive all over again. And I realized that it was uh, those interactions that I realized like, you know what, I actually have a choice. And choice is so important when it comes to shoulds. A lot of times we think like, oh, I, I no longer have choices. And when that happens, you lose that sense of autonomy. Um, and then everything becomes this like obligation. But so for me, it was realizing that other people were actually living life on their own terms. And, um, you know, how it felt just like every day taking the next step and um, being able to like breathe a little bit easier and then, you know, stand up to, I remember before I had the courage to tell my husband at the time that I didn't want to be married, we had this person in our neighborhood who was a little bit of a bully. And I remembered making the commitment the next time she asked me to do something that felt uncomfortable, I was going to stand up to her. And it was this 80 year old woman and she was really aggressive. And I remember I practiced with her and I stood my ground and I, I did what I wanted to versus what she was telling me I needed to do. And then you gain some confidence and then each should gets a little bit easier because you feel so lifted. And instead of feeling that sense of dread, because a should instantly gives you that like pit in your stomach, like, why am I, why did I just commit to that? Then by saying no, I was able to feel really good and proud of myself. And um, that helps build that momentum and that confidence uh, each day and each year in your life. So I'm thinking two things. One, one, you describe yourself as having a strong sense of self. And I'm wondering if that was a, a critical asset um, in this time of your life when you were shedding the shoulds and you were practicing, which is so great, right? You're like, I'm going to practice on this person with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the people you're coaching, how much more difficult is it if they don't have this innate sense, strong sense of self and, and personal power? And is that an element that you work with, with your clients to develop? So the people that I work with inevitably, like even if they don't, so if they don't have a strong sense of self, but they're telling me, I feel stressed, overwhelmed, depleted. I can't believe I have to go to this board meeting and do this and do this. Um, you can kind of hold up the mirror and say, like, you, you might not realize that you're, you are in control and you have these choices. So I think pretty quickly um, through asking the right questions, I'm able to get people to see like, wow, I actually have choice and I am in charge of this crazy lifestyle that I've created in this, you know, going from meeting to meeting to meeting and then extracurricular activities and board, you know, engagements, whatever it is, um, being able to show them that they, those are choices that they've made and they can choose to do so differently um, happens a lot faster than you might think, even if they aren't as self-aware. And the second thing I was thinking about was how you align that personal shift with you grew up Catholic and we live in this Judeo-Christian culture primarily. Um, there's a lot of shoulds, uh, especially in the Catholic religion, imposed upon um, their followers. And the idea that self-sacrifice is admirable. Um, that's something I think that is is found in many of our religions and in our culture in general, that that's something that's admirable um, and very tightly wed to our shoulds, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. So what was that like for you coming to terms with that? Yeah. Um, 
that is such a heavy question, and it's been a, a process. So I no longer am a practicing Catholic, and for me, even going through the disillusion process, it's funny, I've never really talked about it. So even this moment feels like a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous if I'm being uh, truly candid. Um, but I remember during the disillusion process when you know, I said I no longer want to be married to this man. Uh, it was a it was a lot harder to um, get the church to what's the word to annul. That's what it is to annul the marriage than it was to get a dissolution from the state of Ohio. And I remember the annulment. There were you know interviews done with people that didn't even know us truly as a couple. And I was I had this ability where I could read this report and these findings that they found on me. And that was another should I shed. I knew that if I read things that people who didn't truly know me wrote, um, that I would probably feel a sense of hurt. And it was at that time where I decided, you know what, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Those records can be sealed. And I'm going to choose to explore a faith that um, is more welcoming and more loving and more uh, forgiving um, so that I don't ha- carry around this like blanket of guilt um, you know, throughout the rest of my life and that I'm okay with saying, you know what, I made a mistake. I can love deeply and passionately and create a really amazing relationship again. Um, but I, I would say it's been, it's been a process and there are moments where, you know, I feel guilty that my kids, you know, haven't been baptized anywhere yet. And there are things that I carry with me just as a result of being raised in, um, you know, a, a Catholic family. And, is that- and it's great for some people. It's just not great for me today. Yeah, I did no way meant to throw Catholicism under the bus. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's got it's got a ton to offer. And there may be a way to remain in the religion for many people as well. Um, and, and still shed your shoulds. Um, because I think really, it's a, a reframing, you know, we, that there's a, an idea that somehow the shoulds and the self sacrifice is beneficial to everyone else, even if it's not beneficial to you. And I think the reality is that dealing in a life of authenticity and honesty and it really is going to end up being better for everyone that when you do what's right for you and we'll talk about that a little later in the interview when you do what's right for you it ends up being much more right for everyone else that you're in any kind of engagement with but I want to talk about first the feeling of of guilt um, because that's something that definitely rides sidecar um, with this idea of shoulds, especially when we don't do the thing we thought we should have done or choose the thing we thought we should have chosen or even think something that we think we shouldn't have thought, right? That guilt jumps right back in there. Is that something that you talk about with clients and work with with clients? Because you seem to have ability to just decide something and then boom, um, off you go. And I think that that isn't the case for a lot of people, especially when they're in a space of transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guilt comes up a lot. And um, it, it, it frequently, like I shock people when I say that I don't put my family first, because for me, I, when I am diving into my work or personal growth, then I'm thriving and I'm able to bring that energy back home to my family so that they have a better experience with me. Everybody has a better life, right? So guilt um, comes up a lot. And I, um, I ask I, just a lot of questions like, you know, around where is the guilt stemming from? Is it, you know, I have 
um, a really good friend of mine who is in this really uh, high profile job right now that has a lot of potential for her to have some really big financial gains. And I know there's pressure because she has a few young children at home. And she finally got to that point, like, you know what, I'm actually making these sacrifices while they're young, so I can be all in while they're older and provide for my family in a really um, powerful way. And so being able to be um, clear around your why, what is it that you want? Why is it that you want that? That helps kind of get rid of that guilt uh, when you have clarity of purpose and in real focus on why it is you're choosing to do the things that you're doing. You said, and you mentioned already in the interview, that there are so many people that are feeling depleted and restless and unfocused. And you say we can't live our best lives when we're feeling this way. What do you think is the phenomenon that has created such a large pool of people that are daily feeling depleted and restless and unfocused? I wonder how much of it has to do with just like social media and our access to news, right? And thinking that all of these people are uh, outperforming us and living these incredibly um, fascinating lives and they're all things for all people and how do they manage it all? So I think um, I would have to imagine a a large part of it is our um, culture today with social media and um, I've talked about this with my mother and, and some other clients and who've shared kind of their parents' perspectives that that pressure and um, kind of access to all of this information, like you didn't ever worry about competing with your neighbor, right? Or at least my mother did, but that wasn't her focus. And she didn't feel like she needed to be, you know, the most fit and wrinkle-free and not have gray hair and have the best business and have the most, you know, social media followers and all of these things. So I think it's just, like this crazy shift of over communication in our society makes us think that we're supposed to be capable of handling more than we can or should. Um, I mean, certainly we can all handle a lot of pressure and we can do a lot, but eventually you burn out. And if you're not deliberate about um, kind of carving out space for you to just rest and and heal, then you're never going to bounce back. Okay, I'm going to spend the next week thinking about that word overcommunication because I'm, that sentence because I'm like, are, is that communication or is that something else um, that that's happening at such a constant and fast pace? So you and I are going to swing around back to that in our next conversation <laughs> as to what really that is and is that does that count as communication? One way communication maybe. Um, I mean, even, can I pause for yes, a yes. so this morning before this interview, I, I shed a should of like, even as a business owner, I find myself like going along with things and forgetting I have power and choice. So I, I decided to go to a yoga class this morning that I normally don't go to. And the woman working in the reception area was like, do I know you? And we realized that we truly hadn't met, but we follow each other on social media. And so we have this like funny thing where you think that you know people and you don't right? And it just happens on a screen, and you get a snapshot. So that happened and um, just made me feel like this, you know, kind of icky in a way, because you're not truly connecting with people on a deep level at sometimes in life. And then fast forward, this is like a, another tangent to the class. And the first four minutes of the class, the teacher said, these four minutes are for you to do whatever you want. 
I listen to your body and do what you want to do and don't worry about what you think you should be doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not even a yogi. How do I start my practice if someone's not telling me what to do, right? And then I just like tuned in and I started moving. And what I needed was different than the other people in the room. And it was, um, I just thought so timely knowing we were going to be talking about shutting the shoulds that like I went, I switched up my schedule and there I was in this class. I'm not very good at yoga. And here I was given full reign to do what I wanted to do. And then how would I respond? Um, and I, I wanted to share that with you. Well, I'm so glad you didn't. And I love the concept of, because I don't think I'd thought about this so directly in the relationship to shoulds of going along with things and forgetting that we have a choice because then all it takes is reminding ourselves, right? That's the key, reminding ourselves in all of these situations that we have a choice. So I'm guessing that might be a part of your uh, three-step guide to shedding shoulds that you developed, but maybe you mm-hmm. could kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll lay that on the table and then we'll, we'll dissect shoulds. Sure. Um, so the three steps to shedding your should is remembering, like, what is my motivation for saying yes to this opportunity? And, and it's important to remember every yes you give means you're saying no to something else, right? So being clear with what it is you're saying yes to, what the no is as a result, and why that matters is important. So what is your motivation? So is it a genuine desire or an intrinsic motivation? Or is it um, some sort of external reward, whether it's money or praise or, you know, stature within your organization? And that would be extrinsic, an extrinsic uh, motivator. So, um, you know, one example I have is a client of mine was going along with this like event committee that she had been a part of for a nonprofit that she was passionate about 10 years ago. And since then, she got married. She has two kids. She has a two-hour commute uh, from New Jersey to Manhattan every day. She no longer really wanted to be part of this committee, but she went along with it um, because she felt bad. Um, But it was no longer this intrinsic, genuine desire for her to be part of this committee because her life had changed. Um, And so I helped her you know, get the confidence to leave that opportunity and say, this no longer serves me. I will always, you know, root for you hard in the good work that you're doing, but I can no longer be involved. So step one is like, what is my motivation? If the motivation isn't there from an intrinsic place, you should probably consider saying no. Um, Step two is asking yourself, how does this align with my values? right? Does this opportunity align with my values and make me feel um, really strong in my foundation with my life? And then the third step is, do I have a choice? So again, um, when you feel that you have a choice, that means you feel like you're in control, you're more likely to enjoy it more, right? Even if it's something with work, like if if you feel like you are attending meetings because you want to versus you know, somebody just put it on your calendar, you're more likely to be more engaged and get more out of that experience if you feel like you have control. On the flip side, if you feel like you should be doing something, you lose that sense of autonomy, it becomes an obligation, and then you have that dread from the moment you say yes to whatever it is. I mean, I know that we can all relate to saying yes to, you know, parties or fundraisers or whatever it is. And the minute you say yes, you think, why did I do that? Now I have to get a babysitter. Now I have to find an outfit. Now I have to, you know, leave work early to try to get ready. And, you know, it becomes this thing when you could have just said, 
no from the beginning because you have a choice. And, and by saying yes to that event, you're saying no to having a night at home and feeling calm or catching up on work or doing whatever it is you want to do. So those are the three steps that are um, pivotal, pivotal to um, being able to shed your shoulds and, and move forward and get a bunch of small wins behind you so that it becomes kind of an instinct moving forward. So with the example you shared, let's talk a little bit about some of the aspects of how you helped this woman to realize what she wanted um, and then act on that and say no to something that she'd been saying yes to for a long time. So maybe we'll start with that, how important the, it is to have the ability to say no, um, to shed your shoulds, and how you gain that ability, because I think it, it's a skill, right? It is an absolute skill. So with this client, it's somebody I've been working with for a few months. And um, anytime I partner with a new client, the first thing I have them do is take this life wheel assessment, which is a holistic view of your life that encompasses your career, your financial security, your living environment, health and wellness, eight different areas, which you can read about in the guide. So I won't get into all of them. But so for her, I knew that her priorities today um, were family, her health and wellness, and her career. Her um, priority for like community involvement was pretty low just because she doesn't like, she's in a different phase in life. She's man, she's raising toddlers and, and thriving in, in her uh, legal career. So um, when she came to me, she reached out to me like in between our sessions and she said, Oh my gosh, I've just been asked again to be a chair for this event, for this really incredible cause that she, she appreciates so much. And she's like, I, I know that I'm going to say yes just because I feel bad and they've relied on me for 10 years. And I was like, okay, we need to look at that. Like the reason you are saying yes is you don't want to hurt their feelings, right? So there, there's like problem number one. And um, we walked through like why she felt that way. And then it came out that she's not even, because she misses most of the meetings because of her life and her commute, she doesn't even really know the people like she knew them 10 years ago. She doesn't know the director in charge. So she was creating the story that she was are going to be disappointing people. But the truth is, is she wasn't showing up anyways. And when she typically shows up to something, she's all in. So she wasn't giving her best self. She wasn't even being able to like make it to the meetings. She didn't truly know the people. So there was no um, reason for her to feel bad. She had that sense of guilt. So we walked through that and she's like, you're absolutely right. And then I actually wrote the email for her. Um, I don't know if she edited it or not, but just to give her, um, you can say no in a short, succinct way uh, that is gracious and appreciative of the other person. And you can do so without saying, uh, but I'll still attend the event or, you know, committing to something that you view as lesser than the original ask. Um, because we do that a lot. We'll say, oh, I'm not going to do this, but I'll do, still do this other thing, trying to do somebody a favor. And then you're still on the hook for something. So I helped her create a short and sweet email saying, thank you so much. I appreciate what you do. I'm unable to do this. And I know the event will be a huge success. In the minute she pressed send, she wrote me and she said, I already feel a thousand times better. Thank you. And then it was done. And it's so interesting that like it was even in this situation, uh, a false narrative, like even the narrative that she had around the why wasn't in line with reality. You know, oftentimes it is exactly. like there may be this why and it's because of these reasons and we, we feel this should but like in that case, it was just her idea about it, which wasn't even true anymore. 
it was not true anymore. And a lot of times we're stuck in this, you know, other life chapter, but we've moved on and she still felt it in her heart. And the reality is, is that the firm she's working for continues to do some pro bono work for this organization. So the fact that she was able to open those doors, she's already made her impact and she's no longer making impact and she no longer feels that intrinsic connection. It became an obligation. There was no reason for her to continue to do that. And I also told her, um, like, when we say yes to something we don't want to do, we're actually robbing somebody else the opportunity to do that. I can assure you there's, you know, another attorney out there that would love the opportunity to be on that committee and is at a different point in their career um, and in their life. Um, And taking up space that you don't want means somebody else doesn't get that space. And I think that's a great way to think about it. And, and in every occasion, right, even in a in maybe a, a more critical arena in our relationships, when we're staying in a relationship with someone because we feel like we should, or we feel guilty, or, um, you know, we're robbing ourselves, but also them of the chance of being in a relationship that is much more satisfying and fulfilling. A hundred percent. And even the example with my first marriage, like the thought, a lot of the driving force was like, oh my gosh, like he should be adored. I want to be adored. He should be adored and experience love that I know is possible, but that we just don't have and I'm not capable of giving him. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's true in any arena, relationships, your work, um, your friendships. Um, don't take up space if you're not able to be all in. So in the example you gave, that gal, she knew what she wanted, but she didn't feel like she should do it. That wasn't right. How often when you're working with clients, have they gotten to a place where they really don't know what they want anymore, that that voice has been ignored or quieted for so long that they really have lost touch with what they authentically want? Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I do see it pretty frequently. I even had a, a client call earlier this week where um, the woman has put so much energy into raising her children and she's been caused to move a lot because of her husband's career and she's trying to identify her next and she truly is lost. So um, with her, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going through a series of different exercises and I'm, you know, offering different tools for her to just kind of fall in love with herself again and see what, what makes her tick and um, encouraging her, her to spend even 10 minutes a day intentionally thinking about herself, like her needs, what it is she wants, what she's excited about, because without carving out the specific time and having her set the timer, she's more likely to organize the kitchen, get her kids stuff ready, you know, for school and do all these other things. Um, that she's uncomfortable focusing on herself. So even building that into a daily practice is the next best step. And that's a skill too, right? Because I think about when you're, when kids are little, whether they're your kids or someone else's kids, they often ask you, oh, do you like that one or this one? Do you, you know, would you rather have this or that? Do you like the blue flower, you know, or the pink one? And that that's a good exercise for us when we've lost touch with what we want to just practice in the smallest way of noticing um, what do we like better? What does it feel like to choose something that we like? You know, where is it in the body? Are those the types of exercises that you're doing when you said you, you have, you, you know, have a, um, exercises that you do with your clients? What do those exercises look like to some, maybe a specific one? So 
Yeah, some of them are books. There's a there's a great book called Design the Life You Love. And for her, this client is creative. Um, and so this book, like encourages you to draw and get really creative about what makes you tick. Um, there's a simple question that I ask a lot um, of clients to get them thinking about what makes them special, because a lot of times this is, you know, sad, but we don't even realize like our magnificence and what makes us unique. So asking the question, you know, what compliments do you receive most often that you just dismiss because it's like you hear it all the time and you dismiss it. Um, and for her, there were some, really clear um, compliments that she receives on a regular basis that I think will inform her next in terms of her um, ability to like style people and um, be creative and, you know, make quick human connections. Um, So sometimes it's just a question. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's setting aside 10 minutes and, um, you know, allowing yourself to dream big and what does that ideal life look like to you or, or what do you enjoy most about, you know, a specific um, area of her career in the past and, and making her get really focused and seeing what bubbles up. Um, so for her, she's mentioned that she's really good at styling people. She's um, a really good writer. So we were talking about like how her story and her background, she's got like this multicultural you know, background, there are all these pieces and parts that when I ask her these questions, the same themes are popping up over and over again. And that those themes are popping up for a reason. And she needs to really dive into those and see what they mean. You talked about at the beginning of our conversation of growing up in a large family and being the youngest and that you sort of follow along as to what your siblings did and maybe what their friends did. And, and as far as what you decided you should do. And it seems like we have, and, and maybe that's part of the problem with social media, is that that's communicated, I'm putting it in air quotes, um, to us at such a higher and, and constant rate. As far as this false normal, um, I'm thinking about in parenting, you know, if you have a child who wants to stay inside and read all day, and you're like, oh, you know, you should get outside and play. You have a child that's out there playing all day. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to get inside and study. And that that happens from the time they're born when you go to the well visits, that there is this false normal um, that has been derived from this scale of uh, spectrum of people or babies on, on wide uh ranges from from either end as to far as you know what your baby should be doing at a certain time how much your baby should weigh um, and it really is you know all of these shoulds that begin so early that are um, you know a, a false normal in a sense one of my friends it grew up in England and um, she we had such a good laugh she's like it's such an American thing when we all had our babies like asking about percentiles and stuff she said that's so American and, you know, Britain, we don't talk about those things, Like you would never compare somebody's size or birth, you know, height percentile to another kid. And, you know, there's something competitive, um, at least about this country that makes us think like, oh my gosh, are we keeping up with the Joneses? If not, then, you know, what do I need to do to correct it? And it takes real courage to say, you know what, I don't, you know, I don't care and I'm going to do what's right for my family. But, and it takes commitment. Um, I, I have to recommit every day. So I want to talk a little bit about the shoulds in our uh, relationships, in our intimate romantic relationships, our, all our familial relationships, and also our professional relationships, that the trouble that you see that they cause. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I'm going to start with professional. So I think because they're all a little bit related. So I know people who say yes to their professional relationships and they completely blow off their spouse or their partner or their family, right? So by saying yes to their careers and saying yes to all these like extracurricular, you know, evening happy hours or business dinners or whatever, they're saying no to their family. And over time, that can break down your family. And then you show up and you want to be in, all in with your family and they don't want to be all in with you because, you know, where have you been, right? So um, I, I've seen a lot of people in their career that have damaged their home life. Simply, they don't even know how to connect or go on a date with their spouse anymore. Um, I also think shoulds in the professional life can show up if you are managing a team and you're somebody that, you know, um, is a perfectionist, you might be, I, I'm doing my air quotes now, adding value and correcting their work along the way. And what you're doing to that person is you're saying that their work isn't like up to par and you're kind of taking some of the wind out of their sails. Um, and you, you're doing what you think you should do. Um, but sometimes it takes courage to say, you know what, what I actually need to do is step back and let my people rise and make mistakes and, you know, have the courage to um, let them kind of take up space, right? Um, in terms of our friendships, um, I, I see a lot of women. I coach primarily women, so that's why my examples are of women. I see a lot of women that have um, friendships that may have been close years ago and are no longer, but they still have this sense of obligation to go to the monthly happy hour or to the monthly book club or whatever, and they're not fueled by it. They're depleted by it. So sometimes we hang on to relationships and friendships that no longer, you know, are mutually beneficial, or maybe it only benefits one person, but you're choosing to say yes to that person instead of saying yes to yourself or your family. Um, when it comes to relationships, I, I remember, um, it's a former client, a former colleague, and a friend of mine. This woman is like all things to me. She um, called me out once. She said, I love how you say you get to go have dinner with Nick. This was before we had kids and before we were married. And she would say, what are you doing tonight? And I'd say, oh, I get to go you know, have dinner at Nick, with Nick. And um, I, I think a lot of times in relationships where um, things can backfire is when you start saying like, oh, I have to go home and have family dinner or I have to do this. Like, no, you actually get to, and that's a choice. And I think sometimes by switching the language in our head um, can make your relationships, you know, really thrive. Um, and being able to say, you know what, to my colleagues, I'm actually not going to stop at happy hour because I get to go have, you know, for me, it's having front porch wine with my husband when our kids go to bed early, like that really matters. And that's how we stay connected. And, and we're committed to dating each other for a lifetime. Um, and that's something that we are really intentional about. I think the the intentional language is so important. And if you think about using I messages about what you desire, um, it, it forces you to be empowered and think about what you want, some of the things we've talked about so far, and then to communicate it in that way, which is, is vulnerable, a vulnerable place, right? To say, I would really like this from you instead of saying, you know, you should do this. Right, right. Yeah, I think thinking about the language and how – how do you want to show up for the people you love most, right? And how do you want them to show up for you? And um, 
a great way to do that is asking them what you need um, or what, what they need from you. So how can I be a better spouse or how can I be a better mom to you or how can I be a better friend and, and seeing what they, what they say and encouraging them if they don't have an answer right away to, to get back to you because you're invested in building that relationship. And usually the person will reciprocate and say, well, how can I be better for you? And um, there, a lot of magic happens when you have the courage to, to open up and have those conversations. And the shoulds are kind of sneaky, right? Because if you're living a life and doing all the things you think you should, and you're being what you think then is virtuous and a good person, you're going to develop all these secret expectations of what other people should do, kind of to repay you for all the things that you didn't want to do, uh, but you did because you should. Um, and then expect other people to do things that they don't want to do uh, because they should because you did. Right. Wow. Isn't that a complicated, yeah, puzzle? You're so right. Yeah, it's a dangerous, faulty logic, but I think that operates pretty constantly um, among most people. Or I didn't, yeah, so you I shouldn't, did. right? To the flip side. Yeah, I... I see that so often. I, I, I coach a lot of female attorneys and it's interesting depending on where they are, like age wise, what the women who are in their sixties did versus the women that are, you know, in their late twenties, you know, what they want out of working for a big law firm. And um, it's interesting to see the older ones saying, well, that's just what, you know, ha what needs to happen. That's how you do it. And the younger ones are saying, no, I want to do it differently. And um, that can play out in a million ways. And, you know, the classroom, like for me, I'm somebody that doesn't get joy out of, you know, doing like crafts or, you know, volunteering in the school. That's not my thing right now. Um, and there are other people that want to do that because that's where they feel like they're adding value. And that's great for them and how we can both choose our different things. And I shouldn't do that if it makes me miserable and they should not do it if they if it makes them happy. And so are you having those conversations with other moms? Um, or how are you navigating that field? Yeah, I have the conversation frequently um, through like the one on one coaching, and then just through my blog around, um, you know, take up the space, do what it if you don't want to sign up to bring the snack to school, don't sign up. If you don't want to host, you know, a birthday party. I'm somebody that like, I actually, my kids are still young. So they're three and four. They're still kind of oblivious to like birthday parties. And that that's a thing. Um, but there are a lot of people who have been hosting birthday parties, and they invite, you know, the entire class, because you need to be inclusive, which I understand. And then all of those parents come because the kids are too little to just drop them off. And you know, those are choices. And for me, doing that is a total drag. For other moms and friends of mine, it's like lights them up. Um, so I have those conversations and I think it's just really interesting to see what makes people tick, what their motivators are, why are they doing it, and then how they feel. Like I have zero guilt about not having birthday parties. And I know women that would feel, you know, the opposite, that they would be riddled with guilt if they didn't celebrate in a big way. You've got a workshop coming up at um, Haven Collective where you're going to be diving deep into habits that hold women back in the workplace. What are yeah. you going to be doing? What are the what yeah. habits are so you going to be? I will be, yeah, I will be shining a light on the top nine habits and I'll go over just a few of them. So perfection and how that shows up personally and professionally, the disease to please, like this, this 
feeling that we have to say yes to people because we don't want to let them down, um, not being our own like PR person. So a lot of times, and again, this is more true with women, women will say, if I put my head down and I really work hard, then I will be rewarded and, and I will get this promotion. And she's overlooked because what the man did in the room is he said, I'm going to tell everybody from the day I walk in how amazing I am and that I want this job when it's open and I'm going to get it. And so he gets it. And she's been humble and, and, you know, putting her head down and working hard. So um, some of the habits are around having the courage to be your own PR person, having uh, the courage to put your name, you know, in the, in the hat for the job, even if you only think you're 90% qualified. Um, uh, you know, that, that sense of imposter syndrome. I had a client of mine recently turned down an opportunity to be featured in Forbes because she didn't feel like she deserved it, which is crazy to me. And I'm so like, I have to, you know, smack her because um, she, what she's doing is really incredible and it's unique and she's serving um, a population that has been underserved. And somebody said, I want to write about you. And she didn't feel she deserved it. So this workshop is all around getting women out of their own heads and into their lives and really to honor what makes them um, magnificent and unique and get them to celebrate, talk about it and um, empower other people to do the same. So it's, you know, what habits are holding you back and how can you create a new habit? So instead of um, saying yes by default, because I'm afraid to, you know, hurt somebody's feelings, I will think about it, create, you know, see if I really want to do this, say no and why, because my life matters too. So we'll be creating a lot of new habits out of old ones that no longer serve us. And what do you think are the, or is the most critical element of successfully changing a habit? Because, you know, so many of these things, you know, maybe people have read a book about, they know that it's something they need to shift. What have you found working so successfully with your clients are the elements that actually allow people to break a habit and transition into a new behavior? So I um, think that picking one habit and telling people that you're um, investing in changing that habit is critical. So if you're trying to be a better boss and you have like, you know, I'm, I'm no longer going to micromanage you, you tell your team that and then you check in with them and you say, how am I doing? Like what I'm trying to do is give you more room to grow how am I doing? So picking one thing so you can focus on it, telling people so that they can hold you accountable. Um, and when you, you know, being able and willing to check yourself, like when you have that old habit creep in to say, you know what, just for today, I'm going to let that go. And then you recommit every day, like just for today, I'm going to let that go. And then eventually it becomes just like your new habit is you're no longer doing whatever it was that was holding you back. Do you experience with your clients that there's a period where change has started to happen and they're conflicted in the sense of it's so exciting and they're elated and yet they're, it's a little bit scary um, because what will this new life look like and, and will I lose elements of my old life that, that I'm attached to? I mean, you would not believe, and, and I get it, but yeah, so the answer is yes, this happens all the time. Because even if like you're in this situation that makes you miserable, there's something, something comfortable about it because you know it, right? And change 
is uncomfortable because you don't know how the story's going to end. And so sometimes I have clients that are so afraid to let go, whether it's a job of 23 years or a marriage of 16 years or whatever it is, even though they're miserable and have been for quite some time because they don't know if they'll ever find another job or another relationship or another fill in the blank. Um, so, you know, that it just takes, um, sometimes it takes a coach or a good friend or um, like faith, this leap of faith to know, like, you know what, I've been, I've done hard things before and I can do hard things again and running toward the things that make you excited, nervous versus the things you're dreading is really important. You say set goals with clarity, say yes with confidence, live life with passion. Is yeah. that the, the focus primarily of your coaching? Uh, yeah, it is because um, when you're able to set clear goals, you're able to really dial into um, what it is that matters to you. Um, you can block out the noise, right? So you're no longer just on the hamster wheel saying yes to all things and you're able to thrive. Um, and so when you're really clear about what you want, you shut out the things that are just distractions, um, everybody wins and you can't help but be like passionate, excited, and people are gonna want whatever it is that you have, right? Because they're like, why are you so energized and excited? Um, even when things are hard, you can still feel that sense of, you know what, I'm doing exactly what, what I need to be doing, even though this is hard and it won't always be. So um, I would say absolutely that's the foundation with anybody I work with. And probably everyone in your life is like, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Get me some of that. And so what I is... I mean, sometimes that happens. Yeah. What, what are some of the goals that, that you have recently set um, or that you're working on now? Uh, or are you done? Oh, no. I... Um, I mean, when are we ever done, right? I feel like once a, a big part of the, the work that I do is making sure that people like stop to celebrate milestones um, and like, so don't lose sight of all that you've already accomplished, but it is fun. I'm somebody that loves to um, keep going. So I have two goals. Um, one goal, it's been well underway. I just know that I, I will continue to amplify it is more of the speaking and workshops. So I do a lot of keynote speaking and workshop facilitation. And I've started to do that around the country on a more regular basis. And that fuels me. I love to be in a room with groups of people and helping them kind of get unstuck and get out of their own way. That is so fun for me. So I'm really dialed into doing more of that. And then I actually haven't talked about this yet. Um, with anybody um, other than like a, a few close friends, but I am um, in the process of writing a book proposal. And um, my goal is I'm submitting that to the Hay House um, later this year. And my goal is to try to get selected and, and get a book deal. Um, so I'm like diving into that here and feeling like incredibly jazzed and so scared, but it's like excited. Well, congratulations. And I think you just nailed it too. For, for people to know when the thing is the thing that they want rather than the should is it feels just what you described, right? It's exhilarating. It makes you all happy and jazzed. And it's, it's a little scary if, if it's something that's going to so take growth. Exactly. But in and a good way, right? You're not dreading it. Like that's the distinction. Right. Yeah, that is the distinction. This is the choice. Like I'm making the choice to tell some of the stories and, and we've hit on some of them today. So even this has been like 
me cracking open, like talking about, you know, my faith and my failed marriage and all of those things are like, I know that I need to get those messages out into the world because other people have experienced similar things and might feel shame about that. But we shouldn't feel shame about our stories. And we should just like, you know, dial up our courage and have some guts and keep moving forward so that we can really experience this like, you know, one life that we're given in the best way possible. So I think that's what it's all about. And we all came to live our best life, right? Oprah's here to help us. Reagan Walsh is here to help right. us. Um, your best life, <laughs> she says, Newman is, is one in one in which you proudly stake your claim on what brings you joy. And so people that are listening and feel like they, they want to do this, they're motivated now, and they, they need a little help. Um, how can they find out more about what you're doing? Or how can, if, if you're not available, how can they find other coaches that might help them to live their best life? Yeah, so um, you can learn more about me at reaganwalsh.com. There are a ton of free resources on my website. You can also sign up. I send two emails each month with um, my favorite like coaching tips and tricks that I use with clients. So if this content resonates with you, you can sign up for my emails. Um, I am on Instagram. It's Reagan Walsh underscore life coach. And um, I have like, if I am not the right coach for you, and you're looking for some sort of transformation, I have a network of friends who operate in the coaching space. And I will absolutely have a call with you and help introduce you to other people. So I um, am never too busy to help people land where they're supposed to be. So just, you know, send me an email. It's Reagan at ReaganWalsh.com. Reagan, thank you so much. So, so great to talk to you today. I loved it. Thank you for having me. Okay, so that's that. See, it goes so fast. There's no okay. way we could do 45 minutes. That's 58 right there. I know. It's so hard. Well, you're just such a good journalist. You're, you've got a natural um, gift. Ah, uh, thank you. With interviews. I've, I really, um, it is a, a true strength of yours. I've listened to some of your other interviews and that's like that's not something that everybody can do ah thanks i appreciate that i appreciate yeah. that a lot okay um you got it okay awesome awesome okay. ellie have a great rest okay. of your day you too we'll talk soon okay bye-bye okay